Welcome to Episode 80 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Below. Thanks for joining me. Part 1, Initial Insight. Do you ever feel like you've been punched in the gut when someone gives you a dirty look? Or that it totally knocks the wind out of your sails when you have a negative interaction with someone? I recently shared a story on my Facebook page about a stranger saying something mean to me and how it affected me. I couldn't just shrug it off. I absorbed it and let it rule my thoughts for most of the morning. It was so heavy, I wasn't sure how I was going to let it go. After wallowing in it a bit, I finally decided that I would counter his hostility with kindness. There was no opportunity to direct any kindness back at that person, and if I'm honest, I'm not sure I could have in that moment. But I made an effort to direct it towards others for the rest of the day. And you know what? It went a long way to lifting that heavy feeling. When I shared this experience on Facebook, I speculated on what role my introversion played in my response to the situation, both in the moment and afterwards. In a very short time, dozens of comments popped up, almost all saying that they, too, had found it hard to shake negative encounters. Some felt their introversion played a role. Others mentioned that being an empath or an HSP, which is a highly sensitive person, also might have factored in. It's also worth digging further into the Myers-Briggs temperaments. In addition to being an introvert, I'm an NF, or an intuitive feeling. That probably also contributed to how I responded. And of course, in my case, there's the fact that I'm a Virgo, and we're known to be sensitive types. As for ways to shake the negativity, people had a range of different techniques. Nina shared that, on my good days, I allow myself to move toward the feelings without going into victim. This helps them dissolve more quickly for me. Idara says that she uses EFT, or the Emotional Freedom Technique, to shift the energy and snap out of it, as she put it. Mary shared that it takes me seven good things to neutralize a bad thing, even if I have to find or make the seven good things myself. Others noted that while they came up with a good response to the perpetrator too long after the incident, it was probably for the best that they didn't have an opportunity to share said good response. DJ takes a proactive approach and shares, When I have to be out, I go out of my way to cross paths with people who seem to be in a good mood. And Bethany offered this quote from George Bernard Shaw that should be a comfort to introverts and sensitive types everywhere. Silence is the most perfect expression of scorn. If you want to see the full Facebook thread, visit the page at facebook.com backslash the introvert entrepreneur. It was posted on May 4th. Part 2, Shameless Self-Promotion. Happy birthday to the introvert entrepreneur. We are now five years old. It was on May 1st, 2010 that I put my stake in the ground as the introvert entrepreneur. What was so miraculous about it, at least to me, was that I made the decision without tons of research, months of fussing, or endless second guessing. I came to it after releasing the anxiety that I was feeling about finding my perfect niche. Once I let go of trying to make it happen, it happened. It's a lesson that I think all entrepreneurs benefit from hearing. Instead of forcing something to happen or insisting a particular outcome happen at a particular time, let it go. If things are too noisy in our heads, we often can't see and hear what's right in front of us. 
Once we release trying to control everything, new people, ideas, and opportunities start to cross our path. That's what happened for me, and I've seen it happen with countless others. It doesn't mean that we can't set goals or intentions. It's simply an invitation to release tight control of the process. The past five years have taught me all of that and more, and I look forward to sharing the lessons of the next five years and beyond with you. Part three, the conversation. Stand up in front of a group. No script, no prep, no rules. This is improv, in a way. It's not quite as scary or loose as that, even though that setup is likely to send many an introvert running in the opposite direction. And in fact, what looks like a completely spontaneous improv situation actually does have rules, and there are ways that you can prepare yourself. Sure, there's no script, but life doesn't have a script, so who needs one? I've spoken several times over the years about the power of improv and how it can be a transformative tool for introverts. In this episode, I talked to one of the first people to put the principles of improv together with the world of business. Bob Coolen is an adjunct professor of business administration for the Fuqua School of Business, Duke University, as well as an adjunct professor of business for Columbia Business School, Columbia University. He also is the CEO of Business Improvisations. Based out of Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York City, Business Improvisations is a world-class leader in developing experiential learning programs for businesses. For almost 20 years, Bob has performed and taught improvisation internationally. His consulting and teaching work focuses on leadership and managerial improvisation. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm really excited to have this conversation about improv with you. Hi, Beth. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, what's making you smile today? Uh, uh, well, I'm, as you said that, I actually just uh, looked at a picture of my 19-month-old son. So I would say that he's certainly making me smile today. Wow, congratulations. Thanks. I like to start out conversations learning where my guests fall on the introvert-extrovert spectrum and how that awareness of where you fall has influenced you as a professional, as an entrepreneur, and in your career. How would you characterize yourself? I would certainly characterize myself as extrovert with some introvert tendencies, meaning specifically that there's times that, of course, in social settings that it's a little overwhelming and and I've never been one to jungle vine from one person to the next in a networking event of people that I don't know. So meeting new people is certainly a bit of a challenge. That said, I'm gregarious by nature and a bit of a goofball, so (laughs) that has allowed me to meet a lot of people and open opportunities for people to come to me as well. Yeah, and I I imagine you get to exercise a lot of that extrovert energy in your business. Absolutely. It's such a, a key part of what I do and what I teach, and I still perform all the time as well, so that is a huge benefit. Yeah. Well, I'd love to start by clarifying what improv is. I came into it with the impression that it was purely about comedy, but we know that there's a lot more to it than that. How do you define improv? I define improvisation uh, really two ways. About 16 years ago, I started partnering up with behavioral psychologists, and one of them in particular, Craig Fox, he and I formulated this more academic answer of what improvisation is, which is an intuitive, coordinated, spontaneous response to a dynamic environment. Now, that's a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) It involves teamwork and trust and communication. At the same time, it certainly is spontaneous and in the moment. So a, a more simple way, at least for business improv, that we define improvisation by three key words, reacting, 
adapting, and communicating. So reacting, you have to be present and in the moment, as we just mentioned, and honest as well, and adapting if you're reacting within parameters or trying to reach a specific outcome. And communicating, as we just mentioned, are never in a vacuum, really. We always have someone with whom we can chat and something in our environment to which we can react and adapt. So that's what we, we focus on as far as business improv. So hearing you describe that right now, it's really clear how this applies to the business environment. But I'm curious about way back when, how did you first connect the dots between the principles of improv and the business setting and how improv could be of benefit? was almost by necessity, really. I actually have a business undergrad degree, and in the mid-90s, I left the business world, though I was pretty successful, by, uh, with a desire, rather, to become a full-time professional improviser. And in the mid-90s, I proved that to be an oxymoron and went through my entire savings account trying to be a professional improviser. This was before, of course, who's lines it anyway, and the popularity of improvisation that exists now. And it was in the late 90s that I came to the conclusion that I was not performing at the top of my intelligence, and there were two things that I loved tremendously, business and improv, and there was a way to marry those together in a way that other companies that were doing it already had not begun to do. What kinds of companies or what kinds of settings did you find to be most receptive to this idea? At that time, or... Let me ask it this way. How have you seen it evolve from then to now? Oh, it's evolved tremendously. First, as mentioned, the popularity of improvisation is at an all-time high. So if you start looking in the mid-90s, it wasn't in any college, most colleges, even at an undergrad level, even in theater departments. There was no improv classes, per se, for the most part in most colleges around the country. And now they're teaching improv in a great number of high schools. All four years, you can go to improv clubs and improv classes, and it's in pretty much every acting program in the country, and, and now even a lot of business schools. So just the sheer fact that more people know about improvisation has inspired an evolution in improvisation. So once upon a time, really what people wanted with improvisation was, at its core, teamwork and communication. There was a quick offshoot of that, which would lead to more creative and brainstorming type of outlets. And since then, specifically with business improv, what we do, working with high-end academic institutions and been challenged by them to push the envelope, we get deep into change management and adaptive problem solving, crisis management. There's a military term out there called VUCA, which is volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That's the acronym. And we've created models around that. So Really, what we're showing is that improvisation, when studied, strengthens the skill set related to execution inside strategy. And that is something that you couldn't touch upon 16 years ago. Wow. So you've seen the entire spectrum from probably a little skepticism to it sounds like really embracing it and bringing it fully into the fold of, of a businesses uh, and the academic institutions. That, that's really exciting to hear about how the schools are really embracing it as well. The skepticism that you mentioned was not a little skepticism. It was an avalanche of skepticism. I cannot count on both my hands how many times I was told that this is pointless and useless and will never succeed and it has no place in business. I was even told by the dean of Illinois State University where I went to college in uh, 1992, the summer of 1992, I took improv classes and came back and the dean of the theater department told me the improvisation served no point in theater with the exception of building character and creating material. He told me flat out it was not an art form on its own. Wow. So it's changed tremendously in well, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the great things that 
knowledge and information brings. You get this great swell of people who are interested in it and learning about it. And then from that, improvisation has always invited unique perspectives, you know, because there's, there's no improv degree. There's not this homogeneous mindset. So you have people who are anthropologists on stage with people who are business people, with people who study history, with people who are IT people and people who are actors and together they form an improv ensemble and that unique perspective branches now out or sort of a ripple effect out with more people studying it. That means more people are pushing it in different directions. Yeah. And, you know, my experience has been that it can be as surface or as profound as you want it to be. And even on its surface level, it serves a really profound purpose, whether people realize it or not. I'm thinking of some improv that we did at an accounting firm and some of the employees, it, it was almost enough for them to say, wow, I can't believe I just saw my boss crawling on the floor or <laughs> jumping up and down or, you know, doing whatever it is that they were doing in the moment. Um, it just helped them see each other in a more human, real light. So that's where I refer kind of, you know, it's like a very um, superficial, I suppose, kind of experience, but it's also rather profound, you know, it has lasting implications in their relationships. Oh, absolutely. I, I think you, you articulated that really well, that even at its most shallow level, just the participation in inside improvisation creates great insight, both on a personal internal level and external level. Like you said, when you see your boss committing to something that shows vulnerability from the boss and risk-taking from the boss and commitment, leadership by example. I mean, there's so many great things that can come just from participating in quote-unquote silly exercises. And then once you get past the service and get down to the more applicable, real-world, even simulation type of exercises, it, it can be incredibly profound there as well. Well, I want to shift a little bit and talk about introverts in this particular um, setting. And while I can't speak for all of them, I know that my experience is that most introverts or many introverts find improv intimidating, or it's a little too much against the grain of how they normally like to process information, you know, show up in social situations or interact with people. And that's exactly why I think it's such a powerful tool. What lessons from improv do you think are most beneficial to an introvert who wants to be a more effective communicator in groups and social situations? Well, at first I would actually go back and look at why introverts might be intimidated by improvisation. And it might be because of a, a misdefinition of what improvisation is. So really, if you, you asked me before what improv is, and I gave you the business improv definition of it. If you talk to theater people, like I said, of which I certainly am one and continue to be one, they can just say they might define improv as making things up on the spot. They might define improv as the art of improvisation. And that's really where I think most people think of improv, when they think of improv, rather. That's how they define it. It's that whose lines in any way uh, comedy get up on stage and make people laugh. And I think that's where it gets intimidating for a lot of people. In truth, though, so much of life is based out of improvisation, whether you're a, a chef in a kitchen or a business person in an office, or an EMT, fire athlete, whatever it might be, we're constantly improvising with each other. So really what we need to do is start focusing on what we're strengthening in improvisation, not where we're using the improvisation. And that's exactly where I think it links to your question, that with improvisation, it's a communication-based art form, so it focuses on listening and paying attention to somebody else, and it focuses on building off of what they're saying 
not necessarily always in an ideation way, rather as a complementary way, showing that you are focusing and concentrating on what they're saying and giving them respect of your undivided attention. And just working on those skills alone pulls people into you. It's a human art form, and we relate to other human beings. So it helps people with just basic ease and comfort with not only communicating, operating in the unknown and in the unexpected. Absolutely. And you, um, you're highlighting without necessarily saying it that, that introverts, the challenge is that we live in our heads quite a bit <laughs> and we'll tend to overthink something. And being able to know that it, part of improv and part of life, of course, is having really good listening and observation skills. And what I understand of improv is it's about accepting offers that come to you. And I think if introverts can lean into that and say, okay, so I usually naturally have strong listening skills and observation skills. Those are a strength that I can use in situations where I'm uncomfortable, where I can lean into that and even, you know, think of it as a little bit of improv there. But I'm accepting someone else's offer and building on it. And that's really all I need to do at that point to feel a little bit more comfortable and make the other person be seen and heard. Absolutely. You know, getting caught in your head is not just an introvert challenge. Everybody gets caught in their head one point or another. And this is a great way to get out of our heads. Because as you mentioned, if we're really focusing on the other person and just accepting, understanding, accepting the offers, the unexpected opportunities, the gifts that they're giving us, then we don't have to think as much. It takes away a lot of that pressure that some people feel that the pressure of, I don't know what to say, so I don't know how to engage in this conversation, or I don't know what we're going to talk about. You don't have to know what you're going to talk about. You don't have to know what you're going to say ahead of time. In fact, you shouldn't know what you're going to say ahead of time. You should just be listening to those offers and gifts that your partner is giving you and allow them to be your guide. Absolutely. That relieves the pressure right there. It almost makes me want to run out and go to an event. Almost. Uh, <laughs> you should. <laughs> You know, one of the great things about improvisation in relation to going to an event or any social engagement is most people won't know you're practicing the tenets of improvisation while you're doing it. And when I say most people, I mean, if you actually get caught practicing the tenets of improvisation in front of somebody, that means they've been practicing it as well and they can recognize those. Right. So it's a fail safe. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we we were just talking about like the, you know, accepting offers. And I know that yes, and is one of those basic principles. Would you mind saying a little bit about yes, and, and if there's any other kind of, you know, fundamental principle that anyone going into an event or a networking situation would find useful? Sure, absolutely. Yes, and is the cornerstone of improvisation all around the world. I'm going to give you two definitions of yes, and. One, the improvisation, improvisational actor side, the comedic side of improvisation, the art of improvisation, and one more, the business improv side. So yes and as an, uh, for an improviser, yes is unconditional acceptance. You give me this offer, this opportunity, this gift. I accept it at face value. And means you take that idea, that gift, that offer, and you build directly upon it. Now, for most people, that's a little confusing. It sounds like a good idea. Uh, it's hard to actually define what that is and put your finger on it. So the way that we've spun it in business improv is, yes, it's still unconditional acceptance. You give me this. I accept it at face value. And then is the bridge to your unique perspective. And is the bridge to your, your voice, 
your authenticity, and it's the bridge to you. It's the same exact tool, and it's really used the same exact way. It's just a different way to frame it so that people can understand exactly how to use it. So it's not necessarily always complimentary. You can do a point, counterpoint, or a debate using yes and if you wanted to. As long as you're open, honest, and living in the moment, it's a great tool. Another great tool is eye contact. Eye contact, eye contact, eye contact. It's the windows to the soul. It's a way to, to see the subtext. It's a way to find true understanding of, of what a person is. And for a lot of people, that's actually uncomfortable. And it doesn't mean that you're staring at somebody intensely like a supervillain. It means that you're looking to engage somebody. And so that would be the next great word that I would throw out there. To be able to improvise is to be able to engage. And by engaging with somebody, you are being engaging to them. So if you're paying attention to somebody and listening to them, you actually become more endearing to that person. Yeah, there are a few things that are more powerful than talking to someone and feeling like you're the only person in the room. Oh, absolutely. What those people can do is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. It's really just about giving energy and focus to individuals, even if there's a somewhat volatile or chaotic room. So I'd love to backtrack for just a second because I'm really glad you mentioned when you're using yes and in a way that could be point counterpoint or that, you know, you're, because one of the, the objections that I've heard to yes and in a business setting is like, well, what if I don't agree with them? Or that makes it sound like I'm complicit or complying with what they're saying and I'm not. So I'm curious about how you would suggest, how does yes and work in those situations? Yes, and it can uh, work in several different ways in those situations. One, because you're saying yes and doesn't mean that you agree with them. Yes can mean understanding. Yes can mean focus. Yes can mean thoughtfulness. The and then is the bridge to how you understand. The and is the bridge to show how you're focusing. The and is the bridge to your thoughtfulness. So you can say uh, to me that I'm a Chicago Cub fan, and Beth, I don't know where you're alliance lies, so I'm just going to arbitrarily pick a team. You could say that you're a New York Yankee fan, and you could say the Yankees are the best baseball team ever. And I, even though I'm a Cub fan, and my loyalty is to the Cubs, I'd say yes. Their record certainly would imply that they're the best team, and the Cubs are America's team, the lovable losers. So I didn't negate you by saying yes and in any way. I accepted your opinion. I even built on it a little bit, highlighting a fact of the Yankees, and I also articulated my perspective, which is very different than yours. Which is such a respectful way to engage with someone. Um, and we, we tend to avoid, and we're, we don't put ourselves in situations where we might not agree with someone. You know, we tend to, birds of a feather flock together. So I love that you're giving us a, a tool that enhances our, uh, well, in some ways our emotional intelligence, but our communication intelligence <laughs> in terms of talking with people that have a different opinion or a different perspective than we do. One of the great things is that people like diversity. People like unique perspectives. And many people like the fact that you don't always agree with what they have to say. We want to be more diverse than a bag of marshmallows. So we have to find different ways to articulate unique thought. And you hit a key word, which is respect. You can disagree with somebody respectfully and thoughtfully and still become friends. In fact, the friendship probably gets stronger because you disagree. Or you could, it could get stronger because you disagree. Well, I want to ask one last question about the, the improv and entrepreneurship piece. And that's, 
and this is probably especially true for a lot of the introverts who listen to this podcast, they're more solopreneurs. What if you're an entrepreneur who works alone? I think of improv as something that you're doing with other people, like we've been talking consistently about engaging with others. But are there some ways that somebody can practice improv for one and apply the same principles to themselves and to their work that benefit group situation? Oh, absolutely. So you can apply the tenets of improvisation on a personal level. We'll start again with yes and. One of the challenges we all face in creation of any kind is overthinking, analysis, paralysis. Perhaps it's not even analysis. We don't have we have, sometimes we have too much information, sometimes we don't have enough information. So we have to operate with ambiguous details. So you can use actually yes and as a way to get out of your own way, just simply to get the ball rolling for the first time. And once you get that ball rolling, it's momentum. So you can use yes and as a way to get speed bumps out of the way, get blocks or barriers out of the way, and just get ideas out for yourself, whether that's in a pure creation way or it could be an analysis way, really getting into a deep dive of something and you're just caught, you're stuck on one point and you can't get past it. So you can yes and yourself, come back to that point later or just push past that point now and find new ways to explore, discover, analyze, etc. And that, once again, goes in so many different ways. It's not only the analysis, it's not only the, the critical thinking, it's also in the postponement of judgment thinking, the divergent thinking, the creation phases. It works on both sides, the creating phase and the critical thinking phase. And as entrepreneurs, we have to continue to find opportunities that don't exist. As I'm an entrepreneur, we all know that the great phrase, right, that people say is, oh, great, as a, an entrepreneur, you can take off anytime you want to. And the big response is, yeah, after my 70-hour work week is done, I could take off anytime I want. You're absolutely right. So we have to be self-motivated. We have to look for opportunities. Sometimes we have to invent opportunities. Sometimes we have to discover opportunities. So having an entrepreneurial culture is actually very similar to having an improvisational culture or an entrepreneurial mindset is an improvisational mindset. It's the idea that we are going to succeed no matter what gets put in us. So that is adaptability. That is handling crisis. That is flexibility and nimbleness in thought and in action to get the outcome that we want. You're reminding me of how much of entrepreneurship might be made a little bit less stressful if we adopted that, accepting the offers that are given to you. As you were saying, you know, being flexible and adaptable, it seems like the more we accept them with that yes and attitude, the easier time we're going to have, you know, the less stress we'll have because it'll be more coming from a place of trial and error and experimentation and curiosity as opposed to, oh no, what now? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of, oh no, what nows that are truly challenging things. And the burden I think that we have as entrepreneurs is that occasionally we make things that aren't challenging more challenging than they need to be. There's a professor at the Duke Fuqua School of Business, and unfortunately his name is escaping me right now. He created the 90-10 rule of decision making. What this professor said is that many intelligent, really motivated, driven people believe that 100% of the decisions need to be made correctly 100% of the time. When in truth, only 10% of the decisions need to be made correctly 100% of the time. The other 90% of the decisions just need to be made. And then there's plenty of room to, my own phrase, improvise along the way. Plenty of room to adapt and make those subtle changes and tweaks to make those ideas work. And that's something that we can actually actualize and get to by using yes and and embracing the tenets and the philosophy of improvisation. 
it's so wonderful that you just brought that up because I just had a, a session yesterday with a client who was feeling paralyzed by all of the decisions that she had to make and feeling like those decisions had to be 100% correct 100% of the time. And so I love that now I can go back and say, what if we thought of this as a little bit of improv here? <laughs> um, you know, rolling with it a little bit. And I think the other thing that contributes to us being able to improvise is that we're no longer in the era of, well, I've printed 10,000 brochures and they're sitting here in a box on my floor and I can't change it now. You know, <laughs> everything. Right. We, I think part of what we have to remember is that so many things are so fluid that we can take those risks. We can change things up and adapt as we go with little consequence often. Oh, absolutely. And not only can we, we should. That doesn't mean change every step of the way, right? You need a strong foundation. You need to know where your integrity lies, have your goals and your vision and your mission, etc. in place. I'll go back to an Eisenhower quote. Planning is everything. Plans are useless. <laughs> so that philosophy could and should be put into place with what we do regularly, especially in this digital age that you mentioned where we don't need to have tangible product all the time. We can make these subtle adjustments based on openness, openness to feedback from other people, taking that into consideration, not accepting everything, making the decision what works and what doesn't, openness to new discoveries that you make along the way, openness to what your competitors are doing as well. This is the, the era of beg, borrow, and steal and get away with it. I so appreciate your perspective and what you've offered here and and. I feel like we're offering a new tool to the toolbox for our listeners. So um, thank you so much for bringing that to us. Oh, thank you very much. You know, improvisation really is something that everybody can use across the board. There is not a person that I've ever met that not only can't use it, can't do it. Mm -hmm. Everybody can do it in one form or another. And I've taught it to, you can pick the hardest challenges. And I've, I can say I've taught it to those people or that person. And it's certainly useful across the board. And the other thing that you mentioned is a set of tools and techniques. They're meant to strengthen skill sets. So whatever challenges that any individual are facing that are unique to that person, you can use improvisation as tools and techniques to chip away at that, those challenges and those blocks and create the skill set needed to continue to remove them from your future. And thanks to the evolution and acceptance and growth of improv, we now have lots of resources to, you know, if somebody is curious and wants to get started, you know, they're listening to this and saying, okay, so now what? Most communities have meetups or classes or workshops. How would you recommend somebody get started if they wanted to learn more? The internet is a great tool, <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, so you just mentioned it. It's, it really is in any fairly major city and up that there are improv houses, mom and pop shops, some of them are bigger franchises, others are smaller community theaters, and improv, if not classes on a regular basis, workshops are popping up all the time. So it's just a matter of finding them, signing up, and going, committing to going. Put it in your book and say, I'm going to go to this this day, if for no other reason, just to see what it is. Let's just take the chance. Exactly. It's not like you have to jump up and, you know, you don't have to go to an open mic your first time, you know, be right on the spot. Um, and for my book loving introvert friends, is there any particular book that you recommend to, to newbies? Oh, there's a lot of books about improvisation. That's a tricky question, actually, because it, I would ask each newbie what their end goal is with it. Um, so I'll just throw out a couple that are, are good to kind of wrap your head around. What I think most improvisers would call the Bible of improv would be Viola Stolen Improvisation Games for the Theater. 
that was really the first book that came out, and it used improvisation techniques to teach children improv. And they're really the same exact te- uh, techniques and games and exercises that she put in her book that we use today. So that's a great one just to start and get an idea of how to talk about this, how to understand it. Uh, as far as long-form improvisation or different types of improvisation, you have Keith Johnstone and Impro to get more of a European perspective. You have Mick Napier and Improvise is his book, uh, which talks about the annoyance philosophy of improvisation. And the annoyance is a great big theater, a great theater and a big theater in Chicago. Absolutely fantastic. Um, the Second City has a, a probably four or five or six books. And Second City is the mothership of improvisation anywhere in the world, just like Chicago is the nucleus of fall improv with thousands upon thousands of people studying it. There's actually a lot of improv books out there. So a little bit of research would help too, just getting online and looking at how other people are reviewing the specific books and let crowdsourcing help you. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And I recognize, you know, I just want to acknowledge that definitely improv is something you experience and not read about. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's something that can kind of set your your nerves at ease or, you know, gives you some, some context before you just jump into something. So I'm so grateful that you were able to just name off a few books there that um, can give someone that... It's like having a heads up <laughs> before just stepping into a situation. Sure, sure. And I, what I, the other thing I would say in relation, just try it out. Think about anything that you do for the first time. You know, whether it's uh, your your first. I'll, I'll use cooking as an example. I don't know how many people like to cook or cook at all. However, if you were going to learn how to cook a specific dish, it's one thing to watch somebody to do it as a demo. On TV, it's something different to watch them in real life, in person, that you can even ask questions, interact with that uh, chef. And it's something completely different when you're doing it yourself. You get that muscle memory, you get that action learning to take place. And what I would say is the first time you do it, as you're learning the ingredients and, and putting your, your mise en place in order and learning how to add them or different cooking techniques, it's different than the second time or the third time or the fifth time or the tenth time or the fiftieth time you do it. So the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. And that, which at first feels awkward and unusual and even confining, then becomes comfortable. And those are words to live by. Thank you for that. Um, I want to wrap up just by asking you a couple of uh, wrap-up questions. Um, the first one is one that I ask all my guests. And this is if you were granted a three-week vacation on Introvert Island and you could only take three books with you, what would you take with you and why? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, I would take... I would actually take uh, the first improv book that I mentioned, Improvisation Games for the Theater by Viola Spolin, because, uh, and I'm thinking of that specific book that I own, it has all of my first improv notes in it, it has pictures and postcards from my mentor, postcards for those who were around before the internet age and emails, that's how we communicated. (laughs) Um, uh, So I would definitely grab that book. I'm a really big fan of the book Princess Bride. I love that specific style of sort of meta uh, explanation of book within a book and, um, of course, the the fantasy story in a comedic way of The Princess by itself. And I'm going to go with Mario Puzo's The Godfather, which is really the movies The Godfather 1 and 2 stuck in the same book. So really, I I like that book. That is a a study in contrasts. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny, I've seen, of course, I've, you know, everybody's seen The Princess Bride, I think, but I, I never thought, oh, yeah, there's probably a book that goes with that. 
the book is different than the, the movie itself. So what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about you and the services that you offer through Business Improv? Well, you can always jump to our website, businessimprov.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook. And if you follow us on Facebook, we're constantly just giving away free exercises, free challenges. So this is actually another way that you can learn. If you thought, I don't really want to read a full book, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at biz, B-I-Z Improv, biz Improv, or Facebook at business improv. And we're always giving away original literature. We're pointing directions to new material that's come out and articles that are relevant, uh, perhaps not directly to improvisation, yet speak to improvisation tangentially. So different ways to get the hamster that powers the brain running in different speeds and perhaps even in different directions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, This has been a really rich conversation, and I'm excited to start following you on Facebook and start (laughs) picking up some of those tips as well as check out some of the other resources you've offered. So thanks for being so generous with your time and wisdom with us today, Bob. Oh, absolutely. It's been my pleasure. And if you do end up following us on Facebook, send us a note. We're sure to get back to you. Okay, great. Yep, we'll do the shout out. (laughs) Ah, Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Have a great one. Thank you. Part 4, Final Reflection Have I convinced you that introverts and improv are the perfect combination? I especially appreciate Bob's reminder to accept offers that come our way. It gives us a new way to look at activities such as networking and sales, with an invitation to be open and respectful with everyone we encounter, and to let go of needing to know what we're going to say next. And I love that Bob shared ways that we can use these principles on a personal level when we're entrenched in inner dialogue. We can yes and our way out of it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you're inspired to find out even more about improv and perhaps even take a class. In fact, I'm going to include some resources in my next newsletter. So if you're not already a subscriber, now's the perfect time to come on board. You can sign up for the newsletter as well as learn more about my speaking and coaching services by visiting theintrovertentrepreneur.com. If you enjoy this podcast, consider rating it and leaving a short review on iTunes and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks, as always, to podcast producer Paul Messing for his awesome editing skills. This is Beth Bilo, and until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. Inside job.